You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome to Toronto Sports Matter, the Toronto Basketball Podcast Edition. Uh, guys, there has been two days of basketball and a ton of topics to get into. Uh, we're going to start the discussion off with the Toronto Raptors. We're actually recording it as the first game is going on right now. Chicago Bulls, Toronto Raptors currently in the first quarter, 6-4 Toronto. Live. We won't bother you with the highlights. Uh, we'll get to that next time. But right now, I'm with the usual suspects. To my left is Greg Yeroshad. It's a sport Sup, doctor. T-Dot. And to my right is Christian Wolfgang Graffin. How's it going, guys? Great. So a uh, couple days into the NBA season, a lot to get to, um, a couple horrific injuries. But we're going to start this one off with the um, with the Toronto Raptors, uh, obviously bringing up discussion of the Toronto Raptors. We are a Toronto-based podcast. So game one tonight, we'll give you a little bit of a game preview. So guys, what do you want to see uh, from the team going into game one? And what are your kind of predictions as to how Casey will stagger the minutes, specifically focus on the secondary unit, the bench unit? Who's going to be sitting? Who's going to be playing? Well, for me, I think for the Raptors specifically, I think... I- they're going to, I mean, tonight they should blow out Chicago. Blow to, them out. To, to me, this should be an easy game, especially with the, the fight that happened there between the team. Uh, <laughs> Which I we'll mean, get to a little bit later. Exactly. The I mean, assault. Honestly, this, the organization seems quite <laughs> quite bad right now. He's been there. in shambles. They're, if anything, they're about to go through the process. Yeah, Pax so is probably one of the worst uh, GMs in the NBA, considering of what he had at one point and what he's kind of left with right now, especially with the Jimmy Butler trade. Um, they but fucked up. They did fuck up. But going back into the discussion of the Toronto Raptors' performance in Game 1, Greg, what do you expect um, Casey to do as a coach when it comes to sort of uh, minutes played? You know what I mean? There's a, it's a pretty, I wouldn't say a deep team, but there's a lot of guys who can fill specific voids left by the loss of guys like P.J. Tucker and Demario Carroll. Who's going to play tonight? Who's going to be sitting? And what's going to be our primary bench unit going forward? I think Casey's got to let the young guys play in games like this against the Bulls. They got to get better, and they got to get better fast. And the only way to get better is to play against the strong. Oh, Norman Powell. What an athlete. Uh, the only way to get better is by playing. But when you're playing good teams, that's not development time. That's winning time, and you need the veterans to play. So I think he's going to stagger it depending on who we're playing. You're going to see – I'd like to see Jonas Valanciunas get more minutes this year. People want him to get less. I'd like to see him get more. I like the philosophy change. I'm really curious to see if they stick it out during tough times or do they revert back to the ISO, run the pick and roll – Right? Or if they can kind of trust in each other and keep the team ball moving. I mean, we talked last podcast about those threes. Uh, I, I like that they're shooting more threes, but I like that it's coming from good passing, not just pull-up threes from players that don't actually shoot them well. Well, it seemed like in every preseason game and then the first regular season game, 
the three-point looks got better and better, I guess. Like, at the first preseason game, I remember they were just chucking it up from pretty much anywhere. And now they seem to be sort of a little bit more disciplined. I think they did, like, 35. I think they had 35 threes as opposed to in the 40s, mm-hmm. uh, which they were doing in the first couple preseason games. Um, so the, the three points, I think they're going to, especially with C.J. Miles out there, he spreads the floor so much. He allows Kyle Lowry to hit the three, and he allows all those other players like Ibaka and, you know, even DeRozan the, off, the odd one. So, I don't know. For me, that, that those three-point shots, I have no problem with it. I think this is a game to experiment, if anything, um, more so than usual. Well, you're talking about C.J. Miles um, and also guys like Norman Powell. And we're talking about the starting five rotation, and I think you guys both know Dwayne Casey more or less mentioned this week that, you know, when it comes to the sort of facilitating the starting five in the bench unit, he was more adamant about having a guy like C.J. Miles coming off the bench, not only providing leadership, but also immediate scoring off the bench and having Norman Powell playing the three position. Greg, is that a sound decision, or would it make more sense to have a guy like C.J. Miles space to form a starting unit and have Norman Powell, like we mentioned last week, facilitating the offense on the second Time unit? will tell. Uh, I hear he's, he's become quite accustomed now to his role as bench dad. <laughs> right? Um, time will tell. If if that's the way that, that the team plays best, then that's the way that, that the team plays best. Yeah, again, it, I'm one of those people who think it's not really about who starts, it's about who finishes the game. Those last five minutes of the fourth quarter are your real sort of starters, quote-unquote, right? Like if you, And I could see C.J. Miles, if we're down... He's going to be out there. Like, we're going to we're going to find a oh, way yeah. to get him out there because we need that threat and we you need a defender buckets. to be you on there. You can get exactly. buckets real quick, and he's going to. He can the shoot floor. with a defender on him. He can pretty much shoot but from pretty far out as well. Like honestly, like he CJ brings Miles the, is going to be out the there. reason why he actually looks good on the bench. He brings stability to an otherwise frantic young group of men, right? So well, they're young. Yeah, and that's why his role there with his temperament. It actually brings th- some stability. And you know what? He's a better one-on-one player uh, with the ball on the court than I thought he was. I never I never saw him dribble the ball once in Indiana. He's got a decent little floater. Absolutely. Uh, and not in a situation where if he does miss a shot, Paul George will shit on him, basically, for uh, for taking a gamble. <laughs> but, but going back in discussion of ISO and floor spacing... Um, obviously, we're making more of an effort this season to space the floor as opposed to the sort of ISO-based offense we are running the last few seasons. How does a guy like OG Ananobi, who maybe has had a couple decent three-point shooting performances so far in the preseason, mm. but typically not known as a great three-point shooter, how does he contribute to the organization, especially coming into his rookie season, especially on a team that is emphasizing the importance of spacing the floor? He might not actually contribute this year. It's hard for rookies to. I think what you see with Philly, they like huh, Ben Simmons isn't a rookie, right? Like he's a year older. Joel Embiid, you know, it's very rare that first-year players contribute to a playoff team. Okay, so that's first off. Um, I think what's important for him is to just learn the NBA game this season. And towards the end, you know, again, I wouldn't be surprised if by the end of the season we're saying this guy is our best perimeter defender. He's such a good athlete. Well, that's what I think he brings to the table. You said it right yeah. there. His defense. I don't think we can really rely on him too much for offense. Not offensively, He's gonna, you know, no. if he gets eight points a game, that's almost a good, you know, that's a pretty good outing for him. Like he's a super switchy sort of like uh, Swiss Long, Army knife type yeah. of defender yeah. as well, yeah. right? Exactly. And again, he's he's a big guy. Like he, I think he weighs like around two forty something like that. He's got humongous legs, and he's one of those players that if you need someone with strength, I know you love strength, Valanciunas. But if we're playing a bigger team or we need him to guard uh, a four that's maybe playing the small, he, he's going to be there. And I think that's going to be his value this year. He's it, like Bruno Caboclo if Bruno Caboclo was good. 
I don't want to talk about Bruno Caboclo. He's Bruno <laughs> 2.0. So going into the second, uh, I guess, topic uh, at hand, the biggest story so far in this NBA season has been the catastrophic injury to newly signed free agent Gordon Hayward of the Boston Celtics. Uh, If our listeners don't know, Gordon Hayward, within the first eight minutes of game one with the Boston Celtics against the uh, Cleveland Cavaliers, Gordon broke his ankle and I believe fractured his tibia as well, um, most likely missing the entire season. Uh, You look at an injury like this and how long it takes guys like Paul George, for example, to kind of get back into playing shape, not only mentioning missing the first season, but also kind of adjusting to the injury in the second season coming back. Guys, how does this impact the Boston Celtics culture? Before we get into this quickly, I just want to put the Brad Stevens interview clip uh, right now. Obviously, you you hurt for him. Um, you know, he's put in a lot of great work, and I thought he had his most comfortable week as far as feeling like he was going to play really well. And um, you know, but now we'll you know hopefully um, get a, a full recovery, right? And and so it's a uh, you know, it's a tough, tough deal, but, you know, I guess that's that's part of it, the risk of injury. But has, I really feel I really feel for him. Yeah, what was the emotion like up there? He's on an ambulance to the uh, uh, airport um, right now. What was the emotion like out there on the floor? It looked like everyone was stunned. Yeah, I think both teams saw it. Um, everybody in the arena saw it. So, you know, um, yeah, that's, that's hard. I mean, and... You know, I think everybody, um, whether you play on the Celtics or play on the Cavs, I mean, nobody wants to see that. All right, guys. So going into this discussion, I guess, Christian, I'll throw this to you. Who needs to step up, step up for the Boston Celtics to sort of offset the injury to Gordon Hayward? You saw guys like Marcus Smart and uh, and Brown as well, you know, sort of filling that void offensively. Can anyone facilitate that role? And can the Celtics sort of restructure their offensive scheme to compete with the Cleveland Cavaliers considering what they have right now because they let go a lot of great guys like Jay Crowder, Avery Bradley, a lot of depth, and now they're working with a lot of rookies right now. Can they be a contender in the East with the loss of Gordon Hayward? Look, I watched their game last night, and again, it's really early in the season, so it's hard to tell how this team, and Kyrie Irving's there. They have to kind of find who they are. Uh, It's going to be a learning year. Now without Gordon Hayward, uh, watching the game last night against Milwaukee, I have a I hate to say it, but I, I really do think Gordon Hayward was a big piece of their team, and they might even finish somewhere around the fifth spot now in the East, maybe even a little bit lower. Like Who knows? This team is now almost it's, – it's still good because they have Horford, they have good pieces, and the East is still a little bit weak. But for me, I mean, Jalen Brown is going to step up. He's going to be absolutely huge, and he's going to be one of those players they're going to rely on. Uh, it's up to him to step up. He's going to be the X factor on that team to be sort of what Gordon Hayward was. He's got to fill that void. Well, you got two wonderful wing players who have a lot of upside of potential. We're talking about former number two pick Jalen Brown, as well as this year's number three overall pick Jason Tatum, who had a great as game. well as the improved play of Marcus Smart. You know his, um, you know, you know him backing up players on the basket. You know his uh, his ability just to kind of bully people in the low post. As a guard is is, is a massive, <laughs> massive, massive, massive thing, and not too many guys can handle that. It's a different look from a guard. Not too many people post up like that uh, from yeah. a guard position. Greg, I'm gonna throw you a question as well. Wait, you know, could I? Could yeah, absolutely. Could I get? Um, I don't think Boston ever had a chance of challenging Cleveland. At least not this year. You know, Kenny the Jet Smith said it best. You know, this was a team that this year was a. You know, they had to let themselves bake a bit. Right? They got the recipe or whatever, but they're going to have to bake it for a year. And then in a year, maybe two, then they were going to be contenders. 
to me, they were never contenders this mm-hmm. year. In fact, I still said that in my mind, they weren't de facto better than the Wizards and the Raptors. They had to prove that to me still. Because last year, although they had a better record, they were not a better team in my opinion. Um, and on the Gordon Hayward thing, look, no one likes to see that. It, re- right? it truly no, okay. was awful. No yeah. one likes to see that. I've had devastating knee injuries in my <laughs> short-lived athletic career. That being said, that being said, screw the Celtics. <laughs> They've had enough luck in their history, right? Well, especially with the luck. Billy King draft. Oh, buddy. High you know what? Now. It's about time that Leprechaun came back to bite them in the ass for a change. They traded Isaiah Thomas. Karma. Karma. All right, Greg. So I'm gonna and throw it's another... good for the Raptors. I'm going to throw another question here. So, Greg, uh, working as a coach... Uh, you've done a lot of work as a coach for youth soccer. Um, so from your perspective, how does such a, the loss of such a pivotal player impact the culture of the locker room? And how oh. does Brad Stevens sort of motivate the organization moving forward, more or less convincing them that they can still contend with the Cleveland Cavaliers in the East and also be a fringe yeah. contender for yeah. the NBA Championship? I understand your, yeah, your hatred no, 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 yeah. toward the Celtics, but if you're Brad Stevens and no, if you're it's... a coach, how do you deal with the situation Okay, like so this? what you saw after the injury, Boston caved in on itself, Okay. Uh, Cleveland went up I think they were up by 15-16 at the half they came out in the second half Boston emotionally rejuvenated because Brad Stevens like Brad Stevens has a high emotional IQ okay he, he, he understands the psychology of coaching and he understands how to use things like this right you know come on guys play for Gordon and they came out and they gave it their best effort even though Cleveland had shut it, shut it down you, you got to respect that, though. That team sure. came in after yeah. a catastrophic situation yeah. and still you carried can't win the championships. They didn't give up. You can't win championships and off heart alone, man. Ky- Kyrie Irving showed great leadership, especially in the fourth quarter, just by his actions on the court uh, as well. He had a chance to win the game, and he didn't win it. And now they're 0-2. So we'll see what ends up happening this year. But, yeah, uh, look, they have great young 0-2 against two good, really good teams. Though, yeah, again. but they're 0-2, and I don't see them challenging in the— in the East. Brad Stevens is a great coach and he's going to get the, those guys revved up and ready to go. And yeah, they're using it as a, as a rallying cry, but he, I mean, without, without Hayward, they, I mean, they weren't in my mind contenders anyways, but now for sure they're not. I think like you said, fifth sounds pretty good. Well, Hayward would most likely would have been the primary ball distributor. I and think he, he was the best playmaker. He's how they got better, Brandon. Well, Kyrie. Kyrie, right? He's yeah. how they got better, right? Cause they switched Isaiah and Irving. He was their addition, right? He was really what they were adding. They don't have that anymore, so they're more or less where they were last year. They're pretty thin, especially uh, Morris injured as well. Graffin, going into another catastrophic injury, going into the first couple days of the NBA season, your Asian brother, Jeremy Lin, ruptured patella tendon. He's going to miss the entire regular season. What is the overall impact to the Brooklyn Nets of losing a guy like Jeremy Lin, not only on the court, but providing leadership, and who needs to step up? Is D'Angelo Russell going to solidify his stance as a perennial all-star, or it's going to be more or less uh, a, a kind of uh, a grouping sort of contribution toward filling the void left by Jeremy Lin? Well, we saw what happened. I mean, I was watching a bit of that game, um, and uh, D'Angelo Russell kind of went off. He's, he, I think finally it's his time. It's going to be his team to take over. Already it was going to be a challenge, uh, I think, for, for the Nets with the minutes between the two of them, between Lynn and D'Angelo. You know D'Angelo wants to be out there playing a lot, but mm-hmm. Lynn is a really good player still. 
it, it sucks so much for the first game of the season to see two people go down because I really wanted to see how the Nets were going to be this year with a double sort of point. They could be at the floor at the same time. Now it truly is D'Angelo Russell's team. I think he's the one who's going to step up, take over. He had 30 points in his last game. He's, I think, I mean, it's one game into the season, but he's technically top, you know, top 10 in scoring. What was the score in that game? It was high. It was I super, saw that. super high. Is it that the new NBA? I think, 126. No, because that was the it only. Was 140. Well, you look at the way Brooklyn Nets sort of play. It's a run and gun sort of high exactly. octane offense, slimmer than the mold, the Houston Rockets as well. So you're not talking about a team that's pretty adamant about having really sound defense, I guess, on a nightly basis. What do you mean? They have Damari Carroll. Shots fired. He did very well in the end of the game. In fact, all the ex-Raptors did fairly well in their first regular season game and made a clutch play. Did you hear that Damari Carroll's wife is wondering on Twitter as to why Toronto has this quote-unquote hate for her man? And there was like a whole list of of responses that just laid it out for her. I did not hear about that, but I can only imagine some other responses. All right, guy, moving down the list right now, Greg, I'm going to throw this one to you right now. So we mentioned it earlier uh, on the podcast, um, the team we're playing tonight, Chicago Bulls, had quite the interesting practice a couple days ago. Uh, two guys competing for the po- starting power forward position, uh, Nikolai Mirotic and Bobby Portis, had a physical altercation. Allegedly, what went down was that Bobby Portis and Nikolai Mirotic had a verbal spat in practice. Subsequently, Bobby Portis gave Nikolai Mirotic a big old punch to the jaw, I believe giving him a facial fracture. I think Mirotic is out four to six weeks. Speaking from a coach's perspective, how do you address a situation like this, especially when it comes to Bobby Porras? He was suspended for eight games. What do you do in this situation? You know what? If it was a fight, I mean, look, to to a degree, especially when you're a team that's at the bottom of, of the league, a little bit of scrappiness in practice might not be the worst thing. You know, let off some steam. Um, you know, you want that gritty culture, but it's one thing to have an altercation or an argument or even a, like a spat or a fight. This was like, if someone ends up in the hospital, you're talking about pride and like, I don't know how you reintegrate that player. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe they traded Miritich. Not Portis. To be honest. Not Port. Portis is the better talent. From what I've been reading about the situation, I think, though, like right? Mirchich was verbally egging Nick- him on, verbally egging him on quite a bit, you know what I mean? Sort of more or less instigating the fight. Bobby Portis is one hundred percent a fault for cracking him. But what does Fred Hoiberg need to do with the rest of the roster to ensure a situation like this doesn't happen? Because you got to think, the Bulls are a decrepit shithole of an organization, and this is not a good kind of situation to kind of show all the younger guys, like Laura McCannon, for example, like he needs to yeah. put his hand down. He needs to put yeah. his foot down. How yeah. does he do that? How does he get the, ro- the the locker room back, let's say? He's got to get them to love each other. Because <laughs> if you, right, you got, he has to get them to bond, I would think. Um, again, there's a difference between going at each other in practice, which can be positive, right? It can be productive. And physically you know, violently attacking a teammate, which is destructive. Um, look, there's no secret answer to the Bulls. They suck. They know they suck. And it's going to be a rough few years. Yeah, hold I mean... there's I don't know, man. We always keep... Yeah, yeah, I don't think they're that bad. First of all... They're oh, not, they're awful. They're well, the worst team in the NBA. Well, I mean, first, from their perspective, right now they don't have Chris Dunn, they don't have Zach Levine, which are the two players that they're most looking forward to watching. Really? It's, it's, it's pretty much their... F- their future is in Laurie their hands. Laurie has not Laurie looked Mark like Cannon, a prospect. I don't know. That kid. College at Arizona as well. That, 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 kid, looked that great. kid's all right, man. I like, yeah, he's a good. looked absolutely fantastic. Uh, he's he's, he's, he's pulling very, up. He's very soft in the low post, in my I opinion. Think but he, I think he is 
their um, uh, bright product. He, he he is their shining star. It's like they have nothing. I don't understand how a team went from where they were to where they are now. Yeah, when Justin Holiday is your featured offensive option, things do not look well for you. All right, guys, moving down the list right now, uh, game, uh, I guess Tuesday, uh one of the biggest games I can think of, like just a matchup between like just two Goliaths of organizations, Houston Rockets and the Golden State Warriors. Um, Houston Rockets look fantastic with the exception of Chris Paul, who put up a very pedestrian four points, uh, eight rebounds, 11 assists, well, two injured. for nine for field goal. He was injured as well. But what was the biggest issue, Christian, with Chris Paul sort of adjusting to the Rockets' I guess, offensive scheme, especially when it comes to the pace of the game itself. And even with the injury, do you think Chris Paul can ever be in a situation this season where he can keep up pace-wise with Mike D'Antoni's high-powered offense? My first thought when I was watching this game is is it was awkward. When Harden and CP3 were both on the floor together, uh, the way that Houston plays is a lot of ball movement around the perimeter. They like to kick it until they find an open man. They like Harden to drive the ball and then kick it a lot of the time. When the ball gets to CP3, he seemed to sort of stop, go back to basket, sort of do his thing. And there's a new 30 for 30 coming out as well. And he was, it's all about Chris Paul and his decision this summer. And one of the things he was saying is that he has to work on all of a sudden becoming a different kind of player. He knows that he can't use the game he's had in the past in Houston. He has to transform. He has to get open. uh, And he has to take shots when he has them. He has to transform himself. Unfortunately, uh, honestly, he was injured in that first game. You can you could easily tell. Yeah. Uh, he was hobbling around. He wasn't himself in that game, so it's kind of unfair, I think, to to, to sort of judge him on that. Yeah. But for him to to actually be very effective, I think they're going to be throughout a game, really really solid. When Harden is on the floor by himself with his teammates, and when Paul's on the floor, they can be sort of two completely different units. It's going to be hard when at the end of the game when they come together and the start of the game and they're both on the floor at the same time. I'm still not convinced that they're going to work and that they're in sync. I just saw a very... I was watching the game and I saw Eric Gordon go up and grab a rebound and the the first thing that came to mind was that Aaron Gordon is going to just push the ball up the court because that's how the Houston Rockets run the seven seconds or less scoring sort of mentality. And, he's, and he slowed it down. But but no, he didn't slow it down. He ran down. He but I can see Chris Paul. Chris, Chris Paul, Paul yelling for the ball with the expectation that he was going to kind of gradually push the ball up the court. It's kind of indicative of what his perception of what he's going to be playing like was coming in the season. You know what I mean? He was thinking that he might be the primary ball handler. He's got to speed up the level of uh, basketball he's playing right now, more or less. I mean, or unless established a really good jump shot. Greg, well, 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 hold on now. And he was a little out of sync, especially with Harden. Cause, but Harden just doesn't play well with other people. Like he, Even just to throw someone the ball to get it back, Harden won't even do that. I just saw Paul standing around a lot. Mind you, even though Chris Paul was injured, he sparked their comeback, in my opinion. In the start of that fourth quarter, Chris Paul came in the game and floor generaled the shit out of the Houston offense. Mm-hmm. Um, and look, th- just because this one game, you know, I mean, who knows? Maybe Chris Paul had said to Harden, like, hey, you know, I'm not, I'm not on right now. You take it. I mean, the fact is, they still beat the Warriors. And to be honest, they didn't even play their best game. Um I don't think either team really did. The Warriors came out hot at first and then slumped, and then the exact opposite happened for the Rockets. Except for Nick Young. Nick Young was hot all night long. And, <laughs> but that's, that's a problem as well. If Golden State is their best scorer or they're one of their top players that night is Nick Young, that, that's kind of an issue. 
for mm. Golden State. They needed Durant. Durant hey, was kind of a little bit invisible, I thought. Hubie Brown. Okay. And Draymond getting injured was Hubie huge. Brown said it, and I go with Hubie because he is not just the dinosaur of the NBA, but an all-time great. Hubie Brown said that these two have an opportunity to become perhaps the greatest backcourt in the history of the game. And I actually might believe that. Now, I'm hoping that Chris Paul can get James Harden to move his feet on defense and play a little bit as a teammate. Okay? Because all this, like, scoring, that's you don't win championships with just scoring. Right? You have to give a little more. And Chris Paul is a complete basketball player. I think he's the smartest basketball player I've ever seen. He's, he's incredibly incredible. Yeah. Like, he, he, he is so he that's is so he's such a good passer. Yeah, but it's more that it's it's his communication, it's his mentality. Like he's a winner, and he's oh oh gee, dunking on the Bulls. Sorry, uh, you know, it's it's got to be a little more from Harden. I'm hoping Chris Paul can bring out the champion inside James Harden because right now he is a mega star without being a champion. He still is going to be the star of that team, though. It's still James Harden's team. I find that's fine as long as he puts his body on the line and and sweats. If that's all that team needs right now, that's the last piece. If he just puts it all out there, James Harden can and Paul can lead that team. I don't know. Like I, I love Chris Paul. Don't get me wrong, but like looking at the Houston Rockets, especially their game one performance. And just, you know, Eric Gordon looks like he got his legs back. The way he was on oh, the court, he no, played fantastic. fantastic. What it a great like the fantasy option. It's the as well. pieces around them, Brandon, that makes them so good. And, and Clint Capella's performance last night as well just looked like an absolute monster. You Imagine know, you had Trevor Ariza, Ryan Anderson. Absolutely, absolutely, PJ Tucker right? played amazing. Oh, PJ Tucker's performance yeah. Where did these threes come from? Incredible. PJ, where did they come from? All right, Cole, moving down the list, guys. So uh, we're talking about the Boston Celtics and the early struggles. Two games in, two losses. First loss against the Cleveland Cavaliers. LeBron James put an absolutely incredible performance. The second game, uh, many, I guess, NBA pundits would probably predict Boston could potentially beat the Milwaukee Bucks, even with the loss of Gordon Hayward. That was not uh, what happened, I guess, last night, with, especially with the play of Giannis Antetokounmpo, who put up 37-13. and 13. Every fantasy basketball owner's number one draft pick, basically. Uh, the future of the NBA... Guys, what is Giannis's long-term potential? What is the ceiling comparatively to guys like Kevin Durant, LeBron James, especially considering that Giannis, A, is 22, 23, and also he doesn't really develop a three-point stroke yet? There, there was no pun intended there with long-term potential <laughs> with, with him, I'm assuming, because you just kept going on. But yeah, we, we, I, I caught on that pun. But anyways. Uh, <laughs> what did Durant say? He, what did Durant say? Probably the best ever. He, exactly, exactly. I, I remember this He's one so thing. He's so long Dur- and he uses his strength. Durant loved him because he remember I, this one moment on Bill Simmons' podcast when he was interviewing Kevin Durant, and Kevin Durant was mentioning that, you know, I, I was doing a shoot-around by myself a couple hours before the game, and I looked over, and I looked over the corner, and I saw Giannis Antetokounmpo sort of hidden behind one of the chairs, sort of peering over, watching me practice. So we're talking about a guy who, A, has the athletic gift from God, but also, from what I've been hearing, really wants to become one of the best ever. And the combination of both sides, like he could be, the best of all time, potentially. That's the way I feel. No, I, I know LeBron I, James. I, look, I think Kevin that's a stretch. Old. I think it's a stretch because uh, he started his basketball development too late. LeBron, if you, rem- I mean, mind you, Jordan came on a little later too. 
but I feel like he he waited too long to learn the fundamentals. He is what he is purely based on athleticism. Well, he's gotten so much better. I think no, that I know, was him like two years ago. Now he has got a he's got a bit of a jump shot. He has a little bit of a fadeaway. He can if he have was in a good game. system when he was and I don't 12. think I don't think Durant and James have ever walked in a situation like Johnson's right now with having a coach and a mentor like Jason Kidd who can install sure, those yeah. fundamentals on a young age. When it comes to Durant, especially on Seattle, you're also talking yeah. about LeBron James on Cleveland. There was a lot of instability on the coaching level. You know, you talk about a situation right now where Jason Kidd is the right coach for the right type of player. The chemistry both of those two guys have right now. So you're telling me, Greg, that Giannis you don't think is ever going to get to a Kevin Durant level superstar? No, I, I, I'd be surprised if he developed that type of scoring, uh, that that type of killer instinct scoring ability. Uh, I think he could be one of the best players in in the league. But like when you talk about Kevin Durant, you're talking about all-time, like, top five, top ten NBA all-time player, uh, I mean, that's a stretch, I think, for... the for, different. Uh, it I would mean, be amazing if he could do it. They have the same sort of, again, like, prof- athletic profile with the size and the length. But he's not as skilled as Durant. But the, well, the difference is Durant is more skilled outside, and Giannis is more skilled inside. No, but, like, at some at some point, you can't learn these, these skills anymore that easily. Like, he's not going to make... He's not going to become a knockdown, pull-back, three-point shooter... I just never see that happening. I just don't think he has to, though. I think he can be a, a yeah, very, very yeah. good player. If anything, he'd be more like a like a LeBron who develops. Sorry, that you know what? More if more. he emerge, okay, yeah. If he could be, if you're talking about like the all-time best Swiss Army knife type player, where okay, he blocks and he steals and he defends and he runs the court and so in that sense, I agree. But he'll, I don't think he could, he'll ever develop his offensive game enough to rival. Like players that like Michael Jordan, night. like he like, doesn't need to develop a new exactly. a, a lead three point shooter. If he def, if he becomes like a thirty four percent three point shooter, with the exception but he of LeBron, even have with a, the exception of LeBron James, I don't see another player in the NBA being even able to entertain the thought of defending Giannis, especially if he develops his outside shot. I think if Giannis develops an outside stroke, he could be potentially one of the most dominant players in the history of the game. And it's already getting better. I've seen him shoot already. Like He's t- taken some shots that have looked absolutely fantastic, look, especially the, out of look, the post. All-time greats by the age of where, where, where he's at. All-time greats are like when Michael Jordan was that age, he was scoring like 40 points a game. Right, like we talk about all-time greats. He had thirty, that, what, thirty-seven or thirty-five last night. Can he do it every game though? And, and so we'll see. But I, but I think where he'll like, he could be on like steel blocks, a uh, 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 um, fast break type all-time great in that sense. I don't know. I, I want to see how he can develop his skills further. If to That's, me, his skills have to develop. If more. to me, Giannis can average thirty points a game and shoot a sixty percent field goal percentage to do that, honestly, like that, does but it get more know, efficient than that can, without taking one three? Like I think Giannis. Is I think size, he can. What is it? What did he average last Listen, year? Listen, if if I'm going into like yeah. NBA two K seventeen or two K eighteen, and I'm creating a player with like the greatest tangibles physically as a player, I don't think you can get bet much better than Giannis. Maybe add a few pounds to him, but when it comes to his size, his structure, his length, I agree with you. His his athleticism is freakish. The but, physical but, mold of that player, and, and with his hardworking demeanor as well as the skills he's developing, okay. I just don't because see. He had thirty. Uh, he went 37 and 13 last night, shooting 60%. What did he average last year? And last year in the... Okay, hold on. Give me Under a 25, right? Probably, yeah. Well, okay, for sure. it's rare to, for a player to make a uh, the type of jump 
offensively that would require. But we're talking it, about a player who's one most improved player of the year a few. A so couple, so we're again, gonna, yeah. Like, I think this year, okay, you know what? This year he's the reason why Milwaukee is slated to be the team that they are. Yeah, right? no, the no, 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 but that's all hype. That's my point. Well, we'll, we'll bring this conversation back for the last two years. They've been in a that couple team, weeks Graffin. on the road and judge his performance from then. But going into another sort of uh, super athletic, huge mobile uh, basketball player. We're talking the Philadelphia 76ers and the play of Ben Simmons last night. Mm. Um, everyone's really hyping up Markov Folds and Joel Embiid and occasionally Ben Simmons kind of gets lost in the fold. Folds ben Simmons good. put on an absolutely fantastic performance last night. Uh, Simmons putting up 18 points, 10 rebounds on 5 assists in 35 minutes. Sort of indicative of his all-around game and his long-term potential as well. Also considering Joel Embiid's performance last night in limited minutes and 27 minutes he put up 18 and 13 as well. Uh, Guys, what is like what what is what are you looking at the 76 right now? Like what do you think their potential is coming season based on last night's game? Are they a playoff contender? I know Greg has mentioned before that they are not a playoff contender. Graffin, where do you stand on this, especially be able to compete with a playoff team like the Washington Wizards? Yeah, on like so first of all, I used to watch the Golden State Warriors back in the day before they were really who they are now because before they were they were cool. Because they were exciting. Strictly because they were exciting and I stayed up late and that was a good West Coast team to watch. I used to like Mark Jackson. Now, yeah, Mark Jackson. <laughs> now I used to love Anders Vedrins. Philadelphia <laughs> is definitely my is definitely honestly my favorite team to watch just in terms of excitement team to watch, yeah sure. exactly i mean that game was fantastic the game against washington yeah. they were basically they had a really well drawn out play at the very end of the game where jj reddick got open for a three-point shot and if he hit it that game's going to overtime against a team that is projected to be in the top three in the east so for me a huge stride was taken from last year to this year obviously i think we saw that in one game it's kind of hard to deny that they're going to be a playoff contender this year, Greg. I, I, after seeing one game, I still think there's enough there to know that they're going to be there in the hunt. But again, it does, de- it does depend, of course, on injuries. Barring injuries, this team is not only exciting, but they're pretty good. Yeah, but part of the reason why I hesitate to call them a contender to make the— uh, No, I mean, they could maybe slip in in the eighth seed. Maybe. But With they're what def- they have they're not right now, and in any way, shape, or form, are they a playoff team? Maybe they could sneak in the eighth. They're not like a good team in the NBA, and that's if Joel Embiid plays. If Joel Embiid don't play, they're not going anywhere. Well, we got to assume he will play because why would we on- assume that? He's played in thirteen percent of his games. Well, just based on what we've seen so far. What I've seen so far is that he doesn't play. So this if season, if he plays, then they are potentially in the eighth seed. So what in the game against Washington? What what exactly did you think went? What what did what did you see out of, out of Philadelphia that makes you think that? Because to game. me, every single thing that they did in that game, they came. They had a good comeback at the end against a team that was pretty much just relentless. John Wall went off that game. It was they did a very good job defending overall. I'd say at the very end of the game, in order to get back how, into how it. Also, factoring in that Markel Fultz only played 18 minutes that game, but and they that's were still able g- to put on such a high, you know, high motor performance. But Markel Fultz isn't going to be what people think. Like he's coming off the bench, he's not. He won't have any. That's what I'm saying. He won't have an impact this year. I think they have enough depth to compensate for... <laughs> Robert Covington isn't going to go... Set, what did he get? Seven threes? He yeah. ain't doing that every game. So the big, the two biggest things I kind of took away from this game was, um, you know, Ben Simmons... 
18, from 10, what I, and 5. What I was hearing, Ben Simmons uh, was watching a lot of Magic Johnson, uh, especially in the offseason, and trying to mirror his game after you know another big sort of uh, ball handling forward. Did a great job with that. I, I have never seen a guy like yeah. who has quick and as physically imposing be able to dribble the ball up the lane like that. Like that was absolutely incredible. Like his yeah. fearlessness toward the lane, like rushing the ball up was insane. The other thing was Washington Wizards. Otto Porter Jr. played an all right game, but I thought Kelly Oubre played fantastic. He was last way better. Season. Yeah, you see that. Dunk? Like I was thinking yep. this last year as well. Like why would they offer a max contract to Otto Porter Jr., a guy who realistically is a third, fourth fiddle on that organization, especially knowing the improved play of Kelly Oubre in the playoffs because of the offer bring. sheet. Because Brooklyn forced him to him do go, it. Though I don't understand that. That makes absolutely no sense. If you're giving twenty-five million dollars per season to a guy who might be averaging fourteen, fifty points per game. But that Three means, indeed, like, like, but I that means they would have taken a step back this year. If they, if they don't have him on the team, this team's not as good as they would have they been last year. They could have gone out and signed a decent 3 and D, small forward to come off the bench, like a Bojan Bogdanovic, bring him back again, and have Kelly Oubre as a 3 this year. I think Kelly Oubre right now is a better player than Otto Porter Jr. After just that one game, you say that? Because he played like shit last year. Preseason, I mean, the playoffs last year, he looked. He had, he had glimmers of potential. you got to think, this guy's only 20 I, as well. Okay, but you know what you I get, you, see you, in you him, him is... You pair him with a savvy vet coming off the bench, and you don't have to fork yeah. over to $25 yeah. million dollars per year to Otto Porter Jr. You know what I... You know He's the highest paid player on that team. That's yeah, it's, yeah, it's ridiculous. Look, uh, I when I see the Washington Wizards play, I just don't see a team that wants to stay together. I mean, I suppose they will be together now for a few years. I think they've committed to that. But I see Oubre... As just another addition to that, he's kind of like a like a AAU superstar wannabe guy. There's no fan base in Washington, too, eh? There's like people are cheering for the Sixers in their arena, in their home opener. People like Philly now. No, it's just that Washington has a shit fan base. They They've they had do. a shit fan base, right? Like. All right, guys, moving down the list, our last topic before we get into the fantasy hour, or corner, or what the hell we're going to call it, with Christian Graffin and Greg's Gripes. Uh, we're probably going to change the name to that eventually. Uh, but the last, I guess, segment we'll talk about, um, I'll play a little clip right now, and we'll get into it in a second. I feel comfortable. Uh, you know, I'm taking my shots. You know, I'm playing my game more this year, and, you know, I think that's going to help us out. Got new offense, new extension, and some new youth making some contributions. How would you describe the identity of this team this season? It's tough because we have so many new guys, you know, but it's the same, you know. I make the extra pass, you know, uh, play defense, and, you know, just play hard. Part of that youth movement, DeJounte Murray running the port, in for the injured Tony Parker. What does he bring to this team when he's out there? He's competitive, you know, and he's very athletic and you know he's he's not scared of no moment and you know but tonight he played well you know got to the basket made the right reason you know just just play confident tonight all right guys so uh lamarcus aldridge uh basically re-signed with san antonio spurs the question i have for you guys I guess i'll throw it to greg can he bounce back from last year's erratic year i guess or play last year and how do the spurs sort of implement a scheme that's sort of conducive to both lamarcus aldridge and Kawhi leonard's skill set and also do you think a guy like dejounte murray who played had a fantastic first game is the future point guard oh, of yeah. the san antonio spurs the next successor to tony parker he is uh we you know i remember we were we were uh having a beer after one of our early podcasts mm-hmm. and uh, we, we were watching basketball at the bar and, and, and we saw Murray and we are like, who is this kid? And we instantly fell in love with his game. I think he's better now uh, than Tony Parker is right now. 
Uh, but anyways, uh, in regarding to the schemes, like the way that the Spurs play, they're going to have to uh, – it sounds like – uh, LaMarcus wants just more touches to get himself in rhythm. And this is my point with JV, too. With big guys, if you don't give them touches, right, they don't have their rhythm, right? And, and this is what, what Aldridge, apparently this heart-to-heart with, with Popovich was just Aldridge saying, I need more touches to keep my rhythm. And then when you come to me, and I'll be able to score in bunches. So uh, when I watched the Spurs game, that's what they were doing. They they, they were running plays that, that was giving him a, uh, the ball in his sweet spot in the low post there. Uh, I don't think it's going to take too much for those guys to coexist because they're not selfish basketball players and they're not necessarily ball dominant. I think that they'll be able, there's plenty for everyone, I think, in that offense. I think they're going to coexist just fine. Yeah, if Marcus and Kawhi get 15 shots a game, I think they're totally fine with that. Yeah. yeah. They shoot a high percentage, you know. And why do the numbers matter so much? And people, okay, everyone was on Aldridge. Everyone was on Aldridge, okay, last in the playoffs. Oh, they couldn't go to him. Well, they were never going to be able to beat Golden State without Kawhi Leonard. Aldridge was never going to carry that offense. And we have Draymond Green playing you, the best <laughs> defender in the NBA. You're not going to be able to go off for 40. See, the thing Keep that blows mu- me away with this organization, though, I know people say this all the time, that it's such a Spurs draft pick, such a Spurs pick, but just what they're able to do with like, these late-round gems, like a guy like, um, sorry, what's his first name, Anderson? He's the starting small forward for the San Antonio. Oh, he's great. Kyle Anderson, Kyle Anderson is it? Anderson, yeah, he's exactly. great. Yeah. A guy who many Where did people, he come from? Well, Kyle Anderson was supposed to be a top 20 pick, but the biggest issue with him was that he was kind of known as more like a, or less as a point forward with really slow feet. He's slow and what foot. they were able to do with him, getting a guy like Derek White, 30th overall this year in the draft, another point guard, and getting DeJounte Murray, who many people didn't even predict to go in the first round, and right now he's in a situation yeah. where he is the starting point guard for the San Antonio Spurs. Just their ability to yeah, just really think outside the box when it comes to drafting and also just Player you know, nurture these players yeah. and make them you know actually contributing members to the team like Anderson's been on that team for a while for a grip and that guy's a starting but member but this of the is why Messiah Jiri has used the Spurs model this is why he's used their model there's something in the waters there they've done something right Right there, there, there's there's continuity. There's a culture of success. There's player development. There's professionalism. These are the things that we're trying to implement here. Hence, why you never doubt Greg Popovich. All right, guys, we're running down. Never to the doubt end of the podcast. Greg Popovich. Christian, uh, you got some fancy advice. The first two games are done. Uh, what are your biggest takeaways when it comes to the world of fancy basketball? Well, I'm so happy I got LeBron James as late as I did. We He's, got LeBron James. We got LeBron James. <laughs> it's, uh, that was an absolutely fantastic pick. But, no, just going off uh, some quick waiver wire picks because I know that's, that's something. Don't, don't go for Nick Young or P.J. Tucker. I think they had I- absolute <laughs> fleet games that will not happen again. They won't be. You can't Swaggy rely on these P? people, especially Tucker with that many threes. They're not going to be able to sustain that type of offense. Hey, but of are there not. guys out there, based on the first two games of the season, that you think can sustain the, their play over the course of the season? So for me, the number one most consistent player I would say that you should pick up in fantasy is going to be Dylan Brooks, the Canadian. Mm. who's uh, Oregon? Uh, Oregon, playing now in Memphis, and he looked fantastic. I mean, he had 19 points, five rebounds, four steals, and two blocks he was all over the floor um for me that's kind of the in fantasy at least those those defensive numbers are huge um and the points and the assists and the rebounds are all just sort of additions to that so he's gonna be one of those players who's consistent and i know you said it earlier but honestly i kind of see robert covington having a big role on the 76ers because they have so many passers yeah and a lot of people are gonna 
focus on them scoring. And he's going to be the person that just gets those outlet passes. Yeah. He's going to oh, be no. open he, out he, there. He could have a big game. He could, he's streaky, he could, man. He might even average 18, oh, 20. Man. Who knows? Well, Who knows? That would be a huge year for him. What about the guy on Brooklyn? Uh, Windy? The backup to uh, no, 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 no. Brooke, uh, uh, Trevor Booker. In terms of these flyers that people are picking up because they had good first games. Trevor Booker is though that like prototypical like you know three point shooting shitty defending big. I don't think he's ever <laughs> gonna be um, a, a major contributing player. So he's off the Spencer the bench. Hawes of Brooklyn. More or less, more or less. Are there any guys <laughs> out there that you want to throw out as well when it comes to the world of fantasy basketball? No, I mean, those two would be the ones I'm looking at. I mean, right now it's hard because even in my, in our league, Covington's already taken. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dylan Brooks is out there. Uh, I've always been a fan because I've been doing fantasy basketball for a while, but Ilyasova has always been a, he has always been a really good pick. He's going to get a lot of minutes this year, I think, too, in Atlanta. Oh, is um, he in, he's in Atlanta? He's, he's in Atlanta. Uh, honestly, he's one of those players where if you need a big man and you're sort of desperate or, he's always on the wire. or you had Gordon Hayward or something like that and you need to pick someone up because someone was injured, he, he's one of those players who can honestly fill in and be kind of sneaky. What about a big name that you, many people might see on the waiver wire in the world of fantasy basketball who many people are familiar with but might not be the same player he was before? And that's Chandler Parsons. Do you think he is a viable fancy option? Do you see him playing any legitimate minutes this season, or should we just ignore Chandler Parsons when it comes to fancy basketball? From what I saw in Memphis, honestly, he got booed unfortunately at home, which uh, is very, very sad for Chandler Parsons. He uh, got booed. Yeah, for that massive. You have to ignore him for now. History. In terms of fantasy, you, you can't take a, uh, you can't waste a, a roster spot on that. Honestly, that, that's only that's my opinion. All right, sweet. Uh, so our last segment of the show. Uh, Greg, what is your gripe this week? What is pissing you off the most about the world of the NBA or uh, basketball in general? The disrespect that the Toronto Raptors are getting in the American mainstream media. I have spent the entire summer searching, searching for a clip where the American broadcasters, these talking heads, these analysts, these so-called experts would even whisper the name of a Toronto Raptor, or give us even, you know, put us in the conversation for teams to challenge in the East. It's not like we've won the Atlantic Division twice in three years. It's not like we have 50 or 350 win seasons in a row. It's not like we've consistently been at the top of the East. You can't even say the name Toronto. And they don't even say Toronto. They say, they say Toronto. Toronto. <laughs> Toronto. <laughs> So my gripe, Brandon, is with the disrespect <laughs> that we are getting from the American media. And this is this was the motivation why we started this podcast, damn it. I am predicting the Toronto Raptors will be challenging for the East Crown this year, either in the regular season or in the playoffs or both. The Raptors can be that team this year that was the Atlanta Hawks or the Boston Celtics those years that they won and they came first in the regular season. I'll take it. And they get home. The Raptors' home in the playoffs is is bigger it's than I think. It's the only way we can. It's true. Compete. It's 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 more important I think to the Raptors than anything else. So this yeah. year, the number one goal and my comment on your gripe, I guess, would be we have to finish <laughs> first in, in yeah. the regular season because yeah. this is the year we should do it. We've, well, we've this is, loaded this is up right for there. it. We, we are the unsexiest pick. We are the most overlooked team in the Eastern Conference, hence why uh, we're smashing the Chicago Bulls in the second quarter with about two minutes and 30 seconds left, 55 to 29. Go Raps, go. Thank you guys very much for listening, guys. Uh, just to mention, we are now on iTunes, on the podcast app. Yeah. No for us, Toronto Sports Matter as well. Uh, Graffner, is there anything else you want to add to it? Oh, 
also uh, look for us on The Grueling Truth. We're on that website now as well. Perfect. And I uh, just want to give one last shout out to a truly, I wouldn't say Canadian icon, a Toronto musical icon. Uh. Um, I remember when I lived in the West Coast, I was in Vancouver, and I talked about the Tragedy Hip, and a lot of people were kind of, you know, like, oh, Tragedy Hip or nothing. Like, they didn't really have the appreciation and love for a band that is so specifically Ontario and Toronto. Gore Downey passed away, uh, I believe, yesterday. Um, just truly a Canadian icon. Is there anything else you guys want to add on this? Uh, icon is and you know what uh for someone that's really into social justice and and uh the push for equality what he uh, how he chose to use his his last days as a platform for change speaking to the issues of the aboriginal community i think was telling uh of his character but yeah it was it's been a sad week and we're gonna end this uh podcast with some tragically hip thank you very much for listening guys Left your house this morning